Our first reading this evening is from the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, verses 19 through 31. And just to clarify, in this scripture, there's a man named Lazarus, but this is a different Lazarus than was the brother of Mary and Martha, the one who was raised from the dead. So this is another man with the same name, just to be clear. There was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen and who, is, who feasted luxuriously every day. At his gate laid a certain poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm suffering in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, whereas Lazarus received terrible things. Now Lazarus is being comforted, and you are in great pain. Moreover, a great crevasse has been fixed between us and you. Those who wish to cross over from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross from there to us. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He needs to warn them so that they don't come to this place of agony. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. The rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their hearts and lives. Abraham said, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Our second reading is about a new heaven and a new earth from the 21st chapter of Revelation, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning crying or pain anymore, for the, the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, 
all is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the three, give water from the life-giving spring. Those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God, and they will be my sons and daughters. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the vile, the murderers, those who commit sexual immorality, those who use drugs and cast spells, the idolaters, and all liars, their share shall be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. The third reading is from Titus, probably a book you don't hear from that often. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities. They should be obedient and ready to do every good thing. They shouldn't speak disrespectfully about anyone, but they should be peaceful, kind, and show complete courtesy towards everyone. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and slaves to our own desires and various pleasures too. We were spending our lives in evil behavior and jealousy. We were disgusting, and we hated other people. But when God, our Savior's kindness and love, appeared, he saved us because of his mercy, not because of righteous things we had done. He did it through the washing of new birth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, which God poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So since we have been made righteous by his grace, we can inherit the hope of eternal life. This is the last, this is the 10th part of our Back to Basics that we've done over the summer where we look at, you know, what is the Christian faith about? And we've tried to tackle kind of each topic, and I've tried to keep the topics kind of self-contained, which is not easy because they're all intertwined really tried to stay focused on each topic. And we get to the end, literally and figuratively. Salvation, heaven, and hell. We don't like to talk about those all that much in the church, especially that last one. So someone tell me how you have seen heaven depicted. Pearly Gates. Angelic choirs, clouds in the sky, meeting of Jesus at the gate, heaven on earth, people in robes, seeing your parents, smiles, happiness. Being embraced and welcomed. Reunion. Anything else? So let's go to the other side. How have you seen or heard hell depicted? Fire. Hot. The devil with a poker. We don't, <laughs> we don't want to go there. Darkness. Agony. 
sadness. Ice? If it freezes over. <laughs> Poor Carolyn. <laughs> Places that are hell on earth. Separation from God. Depths, yes. Eternal torment. Hopelessness. Darkness. Loneliness. So here's the thing with kind of both of those. The Bible says almost nothing about either heaven or hell. The reason there's one reading in your bulletin is because up until Tuesday morning before Bible study, which is yesterday, I still hadn't picked other readings. Because words are used a lot. The heavens, you can do a word study. The heavens is used hundreds of times in the Bible. It doesn't talk about heaven. Hell is not used in the Bible. There are some words that are Greek concepts that pop up once or twice. So the two readings we had are the most graphic readings that fit our preconceived ideas of what those things are. But even our reading isn't talking about hell. The first, the Luke, is a parable that Jesus taught. It was towards the Pharisees. It talks about Lazarus and this rich man and, the, and this torment and Abraham's in it. It's not foretelling hell. Each of those characters is representing someone else. When Jesus said, not even someone raised from the dead is going to change your mind, foreshadowing, Jesus is the one that was sent who would be raised from the dead, who they would still reject. So, the Bible says surprisingly little. In the Old Testament, there is no concept in Jewish theology of heaven or hell. It'll say things like, they went to be with their ancestors. Well, that means they buried them. There was hope of the resurrection of the body, but nods and pearly gates. It was a very earthly, terrestrial resurrection. So what do we do with these things? Because people act as though these are well-defined concepts. Most of what we get and what fills our head come from medieval literature. We can thank Dante's trilogy for most of our concepts of heaven and hell and purgatory, if you want to throw that in for our Catholic friends. They aren't biblical concepts. Eternal life is a biblical concept. It talks about that. Jesus coming to save us is spoken repeatedly. It is clear that we are. 
that we cannot do it ourselves, we cannot write our relationship with God, and it is Jesus that comes for that reason, to repair what is broken and to write our relationship with God and to heal us back into relationship. But I really think the way that heaven and hell have weaved their way into the church has been really destructive over our history. Go back to the 1800s. And preachers stood up and said, our job is to save souls. You ever heard of saving souls? The soul is a Greek concept. It's not a biblical concept. Our job is to save souls. That's our purpose on earth. As long as we're saving souls... That's what we're to do. So, if we save the soul of a slave, we've done our job and can still be a slave. We don't have to free them. Our job is to get them to heaven. Over and over that's been used throughout human history. Our job is to get people to heaven, to keep them from hell. And that's our only job. That's pretty warped and twisted theology. And it's not biblical. I firmly believe that there is eternal life promised and eternal life is what we will experience. But I think the reason the Bible is very sparse on what it says is because we're not to be concerned with that part. That's God's department. Find out at the end, we all die and we'll all experience whatever comes next. But by focusing and, and whittling the Christian faith down to this, like, our job's to save your soul, and that's all that matters, we miss the reason Jesus came to save us from ourselves and to free us to spread God's kingdom now in the world. We're supposed to right what's broken in this world. We're supposed to raise up the oppressed. We're supposed to free the slave. We're supposed to free the prisoner. We're supposed to care for the sick. We're supposed to care for widows and orphans. We're supposed to right what is broken in this world. And what we've seen happen is when we split those things and we say all that matters is getting people to heaven, we don't do the things we're called to do as the church. I remember one of my favorite theological sparring partners when I was a chaplain was an Assemblies of God pastor. And we had fun ribbing each other. And he would talk about, you know, these revivals they would have. And he said, all that mattered was how many people were saved that night. I said, how do you know that? <laughs> well, the number that came forward at the altar call or the number that were baptized. Like, you know, I have someone in my congregation, this was my last call, who grew up in a Baptist church, who went up for like 47 altar calls because she never felt different afterwards. Until she understood, no, no, it's grace. It's already been given to you. We don't save anybody. 
I can't save a single person. God saves. Jesus came to save. I can introduce people to Jesus. I can disciple people to follow Jesus. But I don't have anything to do with their salvation. It's not my department. It's not what I'm called to do. When we think about the Christian faith and the point of the Christian faith and the purpose of our faith, it's not how do I get to heaven. That's a selfish endeavor because then I'm fine. I'm going to heaven. The point of the Christian faith is to carry on the way. Jesus came to save us from ourselves, to heal us back to God, and to raise up the church to continue that work. That's the great commission before Jesus ascended. Go and teach everything I've taught you, baptizing in my name, forgiving sins. That's what we find in the book of Acts. The early church being the church and healing what is broken. We got away from that. And we're reaping that as an American church. When we wring our hands and wonder, why don't people want to be associated with church anymore? That's why. It's inauthentic to who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. We are to have our hope in the life to come that God promises. We are not to try to figure out what that is like exactly. And I have books on my shelves, and I've read lots of articles with people who have tried. I don't know if they're right. Maybe someone gets it right. Anybody watch The Good Place, that show? If you haven't seen it, it's about ethics and morals. It's about kind of when people go where they die. It's very funny. In the opening of that show, the guy talking says... You know, nobody really knew what was happened, except this one guy, and there's this picture of this guy from the 70s up on the wall, and he said, this guy got really stoned one night, and he got it like 97% right of what happens when you die. It's a fruitless endeavor to try and figure it out. And the Bible is sparse about it because that's not our job. It's not where our focus is supposed to be. God will handle that. But if our focus on going to heaven stops us from following and being the church, we've missed the point. So what I want you to come away with this, I don't know if it's an uplifting. I think it's uplifting. Because what I want you to understand is the burden is not on you to save anybody. And I think that's one of the things that paralyzes us into inaction. What do I say to someone? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't say the right thing and they go to hell? What if I... It's all these what ifs. You can't save anybody and you're not called to save anybody. You're called to share the hope found in Jesus Christ. You're called to be voice for the voiceless, to raise up those who are oppressed, to heal systems, You're called for the flourishing of all humanity. Here and now, in this moment, 
The Bible is clear when it says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. We have now. Now is what we're called to. So rest in the hope of eternal life that's promised. Find peace in that. I never found much peace in clouds and pearly gates and baby angels with diapers and wings, and it was all really creepy to me as a kid. It was not comforting, and I did not like it. And if that was heaven, I was like, I don't know if I want to go there. We all die. We all will move on to what God has next. In the meantime, what matters is what we do each and every day. I want us as a congregation to reclaim our voice for this work. To reclaim our voice for the marginalized and the voiceless. And to not be willing to stand for the status quo. Do the work that Jesus started. That's what we were saved to do. That's the freedom we've been given for that purpose. Leave what's to come to God. That's God's department. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. 